How y'all doing today? Some people are doing good. I'm glad. I'll let them finish up the offering here. Um, so, yeah, I get to go first out of the pastoral series. Uh, and our theme, if you will, for this is uh, why or why not. Two sides of the same question, right? Why? And you know what? I'm just going to say it because we've got to talk about them. We've got to talk about Peter, okay? Why Peter? Why Peter? You know, I, I feel kind of a connection to Peter because um, in... in Look, guys, I'm, I'm a level with you. I rehearsed this in my head, and I didn't even say it first service. So this is only for you guys. But look, this church puts on a great Easter production, Centuries. Uh, yeah, thank you, Jonathan Linton, director. He's proud of it, and he should be. It's awesome. And uh, look, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I don't know who they get to play Peter in that play. But it's, uh, we bring in some Hollywood professional actor or something because the guy that plays Simon Peter in Centuries is just mind-blowing. I expected a little more applause, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> slice, slice. If you know, you know, right? <clears throat> so, but seriously, that, that got me really thinking about, because I, I get the special opportunity to um, portray part of Peter's journey during centuries, particularly some of the uh, difficult situations, right, with the, de the denial, the elephant in the room, right, the denial when he denied Jesus. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But So I, I really feel connected to his story, and I wanted to dive a little bit deeper into it and ask the question, why Peter? Because really, think about it. Why Peter, of all people? Why him? Why Peter? Peter, who repeatedly we are shown in the Scripture, was kind of an impulsive guy, impatient, quick to anger, quick to speak without thinking, prone to violence, self-righteous, a little brash, a little overconfident, arrogant sometimes, an uneducated fisherman. So why Peter? This question started bugging me. Why Peter? Because if you didn't know, Peter goes on to be called rock by Jesus. That's what Peter means, rock. Jesus calls him the rock of his church that the church would be built on. So certainly large shoes to fill, a tall task to live up to. So why Peter? Because when we first meet Peter in the Scripture, he was certainly no rock, not even close. He was kind of a wishy-washy guy going from one extreme to the other. He was no rock. So why Peter? So we've got to understand his story a little bit better. So we're going to go through uh, a decent bit of Scripture today, but um, we're looking at the Gospels, right? And it's all versions of the same story. Uh, so we're going to be jumping back and forth here. We're going to move through some of this quick uh, and look at some of the highlights of Peter's life. Um, and you may hear me on some verses reference some of the other Gospels where they may add another additional detail in. Uh, so just be prepared for that. So uh, in John chapter 1, so how does, how does Jesus even meet Peter? So we come in in John chapter 1, and John the Baptist is walking around doing his thing, right? We all know John the Baptist, cousin to Jesus. He came before Jesus to prepare the way. He baptized Jesus. And John the Baptist, before Jesus started his ministry, John had disciples. He had followers that he taught about Jesus. Interestingly enough, two of his disciples were Andrew, brother of Simon Peter, and John the disciple. So one day, John the Baptist is standing around with his two disciples, Andrew and John, and here comes Jesus walking by. And Andrew says, hey, this has to be the Messiah. 
This is Jesus. Andrew immediately recognizes. And the thing, too, you think about these, these guys like Andrew and Peter, raised Jewish, raised being taught about, you know, from Old Testament Scripture, being taught about a coming Messiah, a coming Savior, a coming King. And so the Israelites, the Jewish people, were looking for this Savior. And here comes John the Baptist telling people, hey, he's, he's here, he's coming. And so they see Jesus. Andrew says, hey, it's him. And I don't know what made it click in Andrew's head, but for whatever reason, yeah, it's him. So he does the only logical thing. He runs home excited to tell his brother, hey, I found him, the Messiah. He's here. It's Jesus. So he brings Simon to meet Jesus. And this is the first time they met. First time they're looking at each other in John 1.42. And looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which of course means Peter, or translated to Peter, and means rock. So immediately, first time he's met the guy, not, hey, how you doing? Hey, I'm Jesus. I'm kind of a big deal. Um, you know, hey, how's, how's the weather? How's your day job? None of this small... Jesus gets right to the point. And first thing he says to him, your name is Simon, but you will be called Peter. Why? Why does Jesus immediately say that? Because Jesus, he doesn't call us according to... To who we are. He calls us according to who we will be, to our potential, our God given potential and purpose. Jesus doesn't call us, He doesn't call you for who you are right now. He calls you according to who you will be and can be through His power. And isn't someone in this room thankful for that this morning? Come on, He calls us. Not based off what we are. Because in our current state, our present state without Jesus, we're severely underqualified. We don't measure up. We're not good enough. I'll speak for myself at least. I'm not qualified. I'm not good enough. I, I, I don't come anywhere close. But I'm thankful Jesus didn't call me for the Austin that I was or even still am. But he's calling me according to what I can be. And will be through his power. So he immediately, just to drive home the point, does that but gives him a different name. You will be called Rock. So we see, obviously, Peter was the original Rock. The Rock way before Dwayne Johnson ever thought of it. He was the Rock. But, again, at this point in time, Simon was certainly no Rock. Again, we went through some of his qualities of, of his human side, right? Of what he tended to be, his personality tended to. Certainly not the Peter that would go on to be wise and bold, courageous, preaching to thousands of people at Pentecost, writing two biblical canon books of the Bible. The same Peter that would stand up to religious bullies. The same Peter that would tell people just like, Two months after Jesus was crucified, telling those same people, hey, you killed Jesus. You did that to him. The same Peter that would go on to hang upside down for his Savior. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. We got a little bit in the middle of that story to get to. But he was certainly not that Peter yet. So why Peter? Why Peter? So if we go to Luke chapter 5, this is one of my favorite stories. And I could preach just on this alone. It's a little more uh, detailed account of the calling of Peter and Andrew. And so to give you the, the long and skinny of it, um, Peter and Andrew are out fishing because it's their job. They're fishermen. They're professional fishermen. They're, they're out fishing. They get done one night. They pull their boats up. They're getting ready to clock out, to punch that clock, right? Jesus, meanwhile, is doing what he does. He's teaching. He's preaching. He's attracting a large crowd of people. So much so that he, he gets backed up onto the shores of the Sea of Galilee. 
and, and it's getting kind of tight there. So he says, oh, here's some boats. I'll get in this. Let's push out from the shore and get a little room to address all the people. And it happens to be Peter's boat that he steps in. So Jesus does that. He, you know, goes through his thing. He, he uh, speaks a great message, I'm sure. And he gets done. And it's not, okay, well, that's done. Let's take the boat over to the other side so I can get off. And, you know, let's go do whatever. No, he tells Simon, okay, now go out where it's deeper and let your nets down to catch some fish. This, this was pretty random. Why did Jesus want to fish? He didn't seem like much of a fisherman, right? Why did Jesus want to go fishing? Especially with these guys who just got done fishing all night and hadn't caught a thing, by the way. Now, my fishermen in here helped me out. After a night of fishing and not catching a thing, you're pretty aggravated, right? <laughs> you're a little upset. So imagine the feeling of these guys, and this is their livelihood. This is their day job. We see in Scripture that Peter was married, so he had a family to provide for. So if he didn't bring home no fish, he wasn't bringing home no money, no bacon, right? So you combine all that. Peter's a little ticked off at not catching anything. He's trying to get done. He's been working all night, ready to go home and sleep, ready to go get breakfast, go to bed. And Jesus says, hey, go, go out to the deep water and throw your nets down. And Simon responds to Jesus. And even though he's probably a little ticked off, he tries to respond nicely. He says, Master, we worked hard all last night and we didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, that part's important. If you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. We know the story, right? They had to bring another boat over. They had two boatloads full of fish, nets that were tearing and bursting full of fish. And so Peter immediately changes tunes. He immediately goes from, we've been doing this all night. I'm tired. I want to go home. He sees this happen, and his immediate response is to fall to his knees. Simon Peter falls to his knees before Jesus and said, Lord, please leave me. So his response in this moment is not even, hey, good job, Jesus. That was awesome. Leave me, Lord. I'm a sinner and I'm not worthy to be in your presence. So Peter, having just met Jesus, not knowing a lot about him yet, yeah, he probably looked at some scripture uh, and knew some stuff from that of what to expect, but not knowing Jesus yet, he recognizes the presence of God that he's in. He recognizes that this is something different. This is something special. This is it. I'm in the presence of the Son of God. And his response is a good one. He falls to his knees. It's an appropriate response. He falls to his knees and says, I'm not worthy. But again, we go back to, yeah, he wasn't worthy. But Jesus calls us according to our potential, what we can be, will be our future. And, of course, Jesus goes on to tell him, don't be afraid. You're going to fish for people. He calls them officially to ministry as a disciple. And it says they left everything and followed Jesus. Now, a couple things to note here. In the Sea of Galilee, if you were not aware, the way to be successful in fishing was at nighttime. And we see that in the Scripture, right? They got done fishing all night, it says. And you were supposed to fish in the shallow water. And Jesus tells them to go in the day in the deep water. Simon doesn't say it, but he's probably thinking, what the heck? This Jesus, this carpenter, this woodworker is coming into my boat and trying to tell me how to fish. After I've been at it all night, a 12-hour overtime shift, I'm tired, I'm ready to go to bed. I'm aggravated because I didn't catch anything. And Jesus is telling me, hey, flip everything you know on its head and try again. But sometimes that happens in our lives, right? We have our way of doing things. And oftentimes, Jesus' way is the complete and total opposite. 
but whose way works better, right? We see the evidence in the nets full of fish. But Peter's response is also important because he knows all this. This is what he does for a living. He knows all this. That's the wrong way to fish. I've been doing it all night. But if you say so, Jesus, if you say so, I'll throw the nets out to humor you, right? If you say so. And Peter, because we see it in his response, he probably still didn't believe that they would catch anything. Let's, let's be honest. He, he probably still thought, we're not going to catch a single fish. But for you, Jesus, I'll throw the nets down. So I wonder if we can apply that in our lives. But if you say so. It doesn't make any sense to me, Jesus. It goes against everything I know. It goes against everything of this world. And I still don't even really believe it's going to get any results. But if you say so, I'll do it. If you say so, I will do it. So two things that Peter's got working for him right away. That, that yeah, he's still this imperfect guy. But two things that I think immediately stood out to Jesus and is why he was called rock and why he would be rock. Two things, uh, the fact that Peter recognized Jesus. And same could be said for Andrew. But the fact that he immediately recognized, even if I don't know exactly what this is I'm looking at, I know I'm in the presence of God. I know this is something holy, something righteous, something perfect, something far bigger than me. I know this is God. This is the chosen one. This is the Messiah, the Savior. And number two, the big thing he had going for him, the faith that he demonstrated. And this is a very imperfect faith that you'll see in these following scriptures that could go up and down a lot of times, Peter's faith. But he had a good core faith that carried him through these moments. Because at the end of the day, he knew that Jesus was Jesus and he was willing to follow. He left his whole life to follow him. So he responded accordingly. And this was after the biggest catch of his life. I mean, Peter hit the jackpot. Him and Andrew and, and James and John, the sons of Zebedee Fishing Company, they could have cashed out and been set for life. Especially back in that day, this was probably the biggest catch more than anyone could ever dream of. They could have cashed out, but it, it doesn't even tell us about them worrying about they got the fish to shore, but it doesn't even say about they worried about storing them or cleaning them or setting them or doing anything. They left and followed Jesus. After the biggest catch of their life, but Peter again recognizes the divinity in front of him, recognizes the call, and says, I'll leave all that behind for you. Because all that measures to nothing in the presence I'm standing in. So, Peter gets called officially into discipleship, starts going around with Jesus, traveling around, and here starts the roller coaster ride. Goes up and down, up and down. Sometimes Peter does great, sometimes he does not so great. Like many of us, right? Sometimes we're doing great, sometimes not so much. But Peter's mistakes are recorded for the world to see and analyze. So in Matthew chapter 14, they've, they've been traveling around in their ministry. And this is one of the times that they're in a boat. They traveled by water a lot. They're in a boat. A storm comes across. And, and those of you that know, you know, the way storms move across water, it can be quick and a flash. It can be uh, dangerous and nasty. So a storm catches up the disciples. And they suddenly see Jesus in the distance. Well, they see a figure first. They don't know it's Jesus. They think it's a ghost walking towards them. They find out it's Jesus. And Peter, quick to act, impatient, quick to speak, not think Peter, he's the one that responds. And he was oftentimes the spokesperson of the disciples, speaking up when no one else would. But Peter immediately says, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. So he kind of challenges Jesus almost. And this guy that demonstrated this great faith, and he's, he's kind of challenging now. He said, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you. But Jesus 
returns the favor and humors him. So he says, yeah, come on. Come on out here. The water's fine. So Peter goes over the side of the boat, and he walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink, like I think we all would, right? Save me, Lord, he shouted. And it goes on to say that Jesus immediately reached out, grabbed him, and told him, you have so little faith. You have so little faith. This Peter that just demonstrated a great portion of faith in recognizing and following Jesus, catching the fish in the nets, this great faith, and now it's little. And Jesus says, why did you doubt me? Why did you doubt me, Peter? You asked if it was me. You should have known it the whole time. You should have been sure that it was me. And the Greek word used for doubt here, I'm definitely not going to pronounce it right, but it's D-I-S-T-A-Z-O, distazo, distazo. Um, to whoso, um, but it means duo or two. And and in some commentaries, you can see they uh, they say that it means facing uncertainty on two paths at the front of two paths. So Peter in the boat, he sees two paths. Well, at first he sees one. He sees Jesus, right? He says, I want to go to you. He gets out, and when he's out of the boat, two paths come before him. He can keep having faith. He can keep trusting Jesus. Or he, like all of us would, I think, he gets caught up in the moment, the wind and the waves. And again, this is a professional fisherman. He knows the water. This is his living. He knows how dangerous it can get. And so he reverts back to his thinking, right? His preconceived notions. This is, this is dangerous. What am I doing out here? I, I made a terrible mistake. At that moment, he knew he messed up. What am I doing getting out of the boat? Takes his eyes off Jesus. Jesus, why did you doubt me? You have so little faith. And of course, Jesus stops the storm, gets them all back in the boat. They're all good. The disciples claim you really are the Son of God. You really are the Son of God. And so you can even look, and we're going to talk about this, but see where the other disciples benefited from Peter's mistake. Because they get a reinforced idea of, you, you are the Son of God. You control the wind and the waves. How many knows that Jesus can use our mistakes, our corrections, for the glory of God, to strengthen other believers? That's part of the whole point of all this. We should be using our mistakes, our testimonies, to strengthen others, right? This definitely comes into, into play in Peter's life big time that we'll talk about. So we keep going. That's a little dip in the roller coaster. Not, maybe nothing too bad, a little dip, uh, you know, a little bit of a scary hill. But, okay, we're going back uphill again because in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is asking the disciples, who do people say I am? He's testing, he's teaching, right? He's saying, who do people say I am? And the disciples are giving them answers. Well, some people say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah, one of the other prophets. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Guys, who do you say I am? And Peter, quick to speak. You'll notice this is going to be a theme. Peter, quick to speak, without thinking, says, you are the Messiah, the Son of of the living God. So again, we go back to the boat and the, the nets of fish, right? Peter knows who God is. And he might mess up. He might really mess it up sometimes. But at the end of the day, he knows who God is. His belief does not waver. He knows that he knows that he knows that this is God. And Jesus tells him, you're blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human. And then in verse 18, we see, he says, Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. So again, he's calling out to who Peter will be. Rock. You are rock, Peter. And in this instance where Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. So again, that's why I have to believe that one of those core foundations of Peter's life that 
Jesus said, yeah, I can use that, is the fact that he recognized God, that he knew God. Yeah, he, he messes up. He gets it wrong, but he knows God. He knows God. And so he says, rock, you are rock. And then another one in John chapter 6. We see Jesus again is talking to his disciples, you know, a private teaching moment. <clears throat> He's actually teaching a large group of people. And he starts giving a, a part, praise the Lord, a particularly hard teaching. So much so that the things Jesus is saying, the people don't understand and that they're having a hard time coping with it. People start walking away. Uh, you know what? This message ain't for me. I'm, I'm going to head on out. So Jesus turns to the twelve, the disciples. He says, are you going to leave too? Simon Peter, again, quick to speak. Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. So again, man, Peter just lined up in the batter's box and hit a home run right there, right? He, he's, he's doing great work peeking at the top of one of the hills. Because Peter says, hey, leave you? Where am I going to go? Where would I go, Jesus? I left everything for you. Peter at this point was all in, all his chips on the table. There was no second guessing for Peter. There was no plan B. And it goes back to he knew God. He knew this was real, so this is it for me, Jesus. I'm not going anywhere else. What else? What would I go to? Who would I go to? I know Jesus loved that answer. So again, he's, he's doing great. And then we got at the top of that hill, and we got to come back down. Because in Matthew 16, we see Peter actually, again, quick to speak, if you're not sensing the theme yet, quick to speak, a little impatient, you know, impulsive. Jesus is, again, teaching his disciples, trying to explain to them all that would have to happen to him with the coming arrest and crucifixion and resurrection, trying to explain to these guys what's going to happen and what it means. And Peter says no. Peter took him aside and began to reprimand Jesus. For saying such things. And he said, heaven forbid, Lord. He, he's telling God, heaven forbid. This will never happen to you. And Jesus got a little angry. He turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. Peter. The one that knows God, that has this great foundation of faith. The one that's all in. That said, who am I going to go to? You are the Messiah. This same Peter is now being called Satan by Jesus. And he goes on to tell him, you're a dangerous trap to me because you're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. So you're not getting it, Peter. You're not getting it. I've been trying to teach you. You're not quite getting it because you're still looking at it as Simon. You're still looking at it from Simon the fisherman's point of view. And it's easy to understand. Again, this was the Messiah that was promised. Not only was he here and going to deliver them, but Peter got to disciple and learn under him. What a privilege. And Peter gets to be friends with God, with the Savior of the world. And so in Peter's mind, he's thinking, that stuff could never happen to you. How can you say you're going to be arrested and beat down and killed? How can you say you're going to have to go away? You just got here and you're supposed to save us, Jesus. So it's easy to see Peter's point of view. It's easy to see how we could make that mistake. And sometimes in our lives we do, right? Like, no, it's supposed to be this way, Jesus. You're supposed to do this. How can you do this? You don't understand. You're not getting it. 
You're looking from a human point of view. The disciples and Peter, I think, accepted the divinity of Jesus. But they did not yet accept the cross of Jesus. They accepted his divinity, but not his cross. Because they didn't yet understand. And how could they? Again, the thought, this new Savior just came, and the thought of him getting ripped away. That's, how are you going to save the world? By dying. And then again, we see in John chapter 13. Again, Jesus is kind of trying to teach us guys of what's going to happen. He's trying to explain who he is, his purpose, what's going to happen to him. And so he gives a demonstration. He's explaining, you know, the first will be the last. The last will be the first. Things are a little different now when I come into the picture. He's trying to explain this, and he uses a demonstration. He washes the feet of the disciples. Jesus, God of the universe, washes the feet of his disciples. And he gets to Peter. Peter says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And I think about, there, there's many tones we can picture that Peter might have said that in, right? That he might have asked that in. Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus knew. I think Jesus knew because Jesus' response was, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. Again, Peter, no, you will never, ever wash my feet. Peter Thinks he knows the answer. Thinks he knows how things are going, right? Peter, quick to think, or quick to speak without thinking, I should say. You will never, ever wash my feet. Jesus says, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. So it's another case of Jesus reprimanding Peter, saying, hey, this, you don't get it, Peter. You're not understanding the way that things have to be. You're not understanding what I'm trying to teach you. But how many of us have many times in our lives we're hard-headed towards God, right? He's trying to teach us. We're just not understanding. We're not, because we're looking from the human point of view, not from God's. And we don't understand. Peter didn't understand. But again, Peter... Impulsive, running from one extreme to the other. After Jesus says, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me, Peter completely changes his tune. He's not going from, you can't wash my feet, to wash my hands and head as well, Lord. Give me the full makeover, if that's what it takes to belong to you. So in this case, in the same situation, Peter demonstrates the good reversal of faith and saying, hey, if, if it goes back to, if you say so. Peter says, if you say so, you have to wash my feet. So be it. And one thing to point out here, too, is, is we see these moments of correction and rebuke and discipline for Peter, right? And it's interesting to me, this guy Peter, who's quick to anger, prone to violence, you know, a, a little easy to fly off the handle. We never see in the scripture of him protesting that to Jesus, of him coming back with a response in these moments when Jesus corrects him. He never retorts. He never lashes out in anger or snaps back at Jesus. He never says, no, wait a minute. Once Jesus lays down the law, so to speak, Peter's always quick to fall in line. And he says, okay, if, if it's that way, if you say so, so Peter does not shy away from correction. He, it would be easy to be embarrassed or angry, but he accepts it. And Peter benefited from that, and the other disciples benefited from that. Again, Peter was often the spokesperson, and I imagine some of the other disciples always standing back, you know, glad it's him, not me. <laughs> Let Peter take the fall. Let Peter take the heat. But it benefited his brothers, right? It, they would learn stuff. From his mistakes. And that's the way that we should be in the church. We should not be embarrassed or angry at correction or discipline. If we don't get corrected, 
we're going to do the same thing again. If we don't get disciplined, we're going to do the same thing again. It's like with kids, right? If you don't let them know, hey, that's wrong, don't do that. You're not going to know. And sometimes as we, you know, we're adults of all ages and, and it, it, feels like a, it feels like a thing for kids sometimes, right? You're like, how am I, you know, don't correct me. Don't, don't tell me I'm wrong. You can't discipline me. But we need to open our heart and let Jesus speak to us sometimes like that. And listen to him and say, if you say so, Jesus. All right. You got the word. We're good. And then allow other people, and that's where testimony comes in, right? Allow other people to learn from our mistakes, from our correction, from our mess-ups. Okay, so Peter's he's, he's in a dip on the roller coaster, right? He's, he's not doing so great anymore. He's, he's been corrected and, and reprimanded and, and taken some beatings, right? Some, some verbal beatings. And it doesn't stop yet. In Mark chapter 9... Again, this is getting real close to the time that stuff starts going down. So Jesus is, it's his last days and he's trying to get his guys to understand what's happening so that they can know what to do. So he takes the inner three of the disciples, Peter, James, and John, his, his close circle of confidence, and he leads them up a mountain. And this is where we have the transfiguration. So Jesus' appearance was transformed his clothes were dazzling white a bright light far whiter than any earthly thing could ever make them and elijah and moses appeared and began talking with jesus now first of all what a cool scene that would be amazing to see man to see something like that and to think that we might get to one day in heaven right to, to see these great champions of the faith but Peter, I mean, so, so just like we would be, Peter's excited to see this. He, he doesn't understand what's going on, but he knows I'm in the presence of something amazing happening. Something really cool is going on here. He's showing the glory of God. And so Peter, again, quick to speak, without thinking so much, quick to speak, he says, Rabbi, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And he said this, and it, it tells us in the Scripture this is hilarious. He said this because he didn't really know what else to say. Story of Peter's life, right? He didn't know what else to say, so he just said something. And again, Jesus is like, Peter, Peter, you got this all wrong. You're not getting it. You're not getting it, man. It's not the point. And then, of course, in that story, we have God's voice comes down and, and tells them, this is my son. Now, my dearly loved son, listen to him. So again, Peter's, Peter's a little quick on the trigger, and he's, he, he's not quite getting it. So then we move forward in the timeline. In Luke chapter 22... Again, we're getting real close to events happening, right? Of, of Here's where things are about to get real. And so they're, they're having the Last Supper. The disciples at the time didn't know it was the Last Supper. They're just having dinner with their master, their friend, having a good time. And they start talking about many different things. You know, Jesus is trying to tell the guys, someone's going to betray me. Someone's going to deny me. He's trying to tell them all these things and, and telling them this has to happen for the sins of the world. And it's interesting, in, in, in the version presented in Luke, we get a, a call out of a detail that's not in the other ones where Jesus specifically says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I've pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. This is amazing. 
Jesus is saying, Simon, specifically, I've pleaded for you in prayer, Simon. I've gone to the Father on your behalf. I've prayed for you. Yes, you, Simon, impatient, imperfect, Simon. All these mess-ups, I've just had to correct you and reprimand you on all these things. I'm praying for you, Simon. I'm pleading for you that your faith should not fail. Because he knew what Simon was about to go through. And he said, I'm praying that your faith will not fail. So you'll repent, turn to me again, and strengthen your brothers. So it's amazing to me that even in our rebellion, Jesus is sovereign. And supervising. He supervises our rebellion even when we're doing the opposite of his will, he's working it for the greater good. He's using our mess-ups, our mistakes. He's using all that for his good, for the good of others. Again, he calls out specifically this time, strengthen your brothers, Simon. So Jesus is looking forward, and again, he calls us according to our future, our potential, right? Jesus is looking forward Saying, even though you don't understand, Peter, you're about to really go to a dark place. You're about to go to a dark place, and that's okay. But come back to me after. Come back to me after, and I'll use you so much more than you could have ever been used before. You'll grow from it. Your faith will be tested, but it should not fail, he says. So that when you repent, and he's calling it out, he's saying you will repent. So he, again, he's speaking life to Simon. He's speaking future to Simon. You will repent and turn to me again, and I want you to strengthen your brothers. And Peter, quick to speak, probably didn't think about it too much. Because he, he kind of goes past all the, I'm pleading for you, I'm praying for you. Quick to speak. He says, Lord, I am ready to go to prison with you and to die with you. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. So Jesus is foretelling the denial. Peter is against it. He says, ain't happening. Not me, Jesus. So this is where some of his brashness and, and cockiness, arrogance comes out, right? Self-righteous. Not me, Jesus. I'm not going to do that. And this is the same Peter that's all in. There's no plan B for me. I left everything. I'm not going to leave you, Jesus. I already told you before. Where am I going to go? And it sounds good. And the reasoning is good, right? You wouldn't think that Peter would ever leave Jesus with the actions he's displayed already. But Jesus knows, right? And he's supervising our rebellion. We see in Mark 14, after, after dinner, they go to pray in the garden. Jesus asks again his disciples and then asks the inner three specifically, come pray with me, come keep watch while I pray. I've got to talk to the Father, stuff's about to go down. They still weren't getting it. Because the disciples were not that worried. They fell asleep. And you know, you don't sleep when you're worried about something, right? If you're stressed out, worried about something, you're not going to get a whole lot of sleep. You're going to be tossing and turning. So it seems to me Peter was not that worried. Because again, he's still not getting it. He's, he's saying nothing can happen to Jesus. Nothing can happen to the Savior, the Messiah, the King. But he fell asleep. And Jesus, Jesus fully knows what's going to happen, right? And he's resigning himself to his fate right now, accepting to be the sacrifice for the world. And so Jesus, in this emotional state, comes back and sees the disciples asleep. And Peter, his best friend, Peter, are you asleep? Peter, you're sleeping? 
wake up, I need you, I need your help. And he goes back and prays again, and this happens three times. He comes back again, they're sleeping. Peter, I imagine a little hurt in the voice of Jesus. Peter, you're sleeping. I asked one thing. I asked for you to pray, to keep watch, to help me. I need you, Peter. This is about to be my toughest challenge, my toughest trial. I need you. And you're sleeping. And the disciples in a half-awake, half-asleep state, probably feeling hurt themselves, getting a little teary-eyed at Jesus' asking of them. His pleading with them in this situation. Stay awake with me. I need your help. You're sleeping. But again, it's proof that they didn't get it yet. They didn't know what was going on. So he leaves again. He prays. And there's actually a part at the end of of this verse. It's not on the screen, but Mark uh, in the same one, verse 40. And again, it says at the end, the disciples didn't know what to say. They didn't have an answer for Jesus. He's asking, you're asleep? I need you. How can you be sleeping? And Peter, so often quick to speak, always something to say. In this instance, he doesn't have an answer. Can't even come up with anything to say. This same Peter that just a couple hours ago at dinner is saying, Lord, I would never leave you. I'll fight till the death for you. He's fallen asleep at Jesus' greatest hour of need. So they, they get done praying, and here comes the procession to arrest Jesus. And this is hundreds of people. This is civilians, soldiers, guards, the priests, religious leaders. This is hundreds of people coming against 12 disciples and Jesus. And Jesus, we know how the story goes, right? Jesus tells them, I'm the one you're looking for. Because Jesus has accepted his fate. He knows what's happening. He knows the sacrifice he has to make. But the disciples did not understand. So Peter draws a sword and he slashed off the right ear of Malchus in John chapter 18. Let me give you a spoiler alert, church. Peter was not aiming for the ear. Peter wasn't trying to cut that dude's ear off. He was going for the kill. Jesus was being threatened. Peter is in the kingdom of God, but he's from the south side, (laughs) y'all. Slice, slice. If you know, you know. He wasn't aiming for no ear. He was going for a little bit more. Because, again, he didn't understand. And Jesus corrects him again. He says, put your sword back. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? But here's the big thing that Peter and the disciples didn't understand the suffering. They could not understand this message of suffering that Jesus was preaching to them. Because it goes against all human comfort and knowledge, right? It goes against everything in our humanly desire to be as comfortable as possible. And Jesus is preaching a message of suffering for the greater good. They didn't understand. So Peter's ready to fight. He's backing up his words from dinner. I'll die with you, Lord. He's ready to fight. In fact, in one of the other Gospels, in one of the other versions, the other, it says the other disciples asked, should we fight? Is this going down? Do you want us to fight, Jesus? Twelve people, or eleven, not counting Judas, right? Against hundreds. They're ready to throw down. Because again, they're all in. They, Peter knows who God is. There's not a shadow of doubt in his mind. And he's ready to throw down everything. He's already given his life, so he's ready to do it literally as well. So again, this one's kind of a a dual thing, right? Peter is kind of showing not such a great side, but at the bottom of it, he's showing a passion 
for Jesus. And I believe Jesus likes to see us passionate about Him. Sometimes that can take the wrong form. That's certainly possible and happens a lot. But He likes that passion. Because at the end of the day, Peter was passionate about Jesus. It just came out in the wrong way right here. And they must have been so confused that Jesus did not want to fight. That he was willing to resign himself to this fate. So he gets arrested. They take Jesus off. The disciples scatter. Peter follows at a distance. He's got to know what's going on. He's got to know what's happening. This is the same Peter. Adrenaline flowing from cutting a dude's ear off. From having a sword drawn, ready to throw down, adrenaline flowing through his blood. Also hurt, confused, sad, betrayed. Because the thing we often overlook, not to take anything away from our Savior, but Jesus was not the only one betrayed that night. The disciples were betrayed too. This was a close-knit group of 12 people plus Jesus that had traveled around for three years and had become best friends. This was their master, ripped away from them in an instant. And seemingly willingly, Jesus is going with it. Peter's confused. He's hurt. One of our own friends, Judas, did this. A sacred bond of brotherhood broken in a moment. So imagine all the emotions. And again, Peter, quick to get angry. Probably seeing red. Seething. He goes, he, he finds his way into the courtyard where they're holding Jesus. And a servant girl comes over. Hey, I've seen you. You were with Jesus. I don't know what you're talking about. Later by the gate, another servant girl. This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Peter with an oath this time. I don't even know the man. Promise, scout's honor, I don't know the man. Later some more people came. Yeah, you have the accent from Galilee. You, you, you're the guy. You were with Jesus. Peter gets indignant at this point. He says, I don't know him. Curse. Curse me if I'm lying. God, curse me if I know that man. Wow. Talk about a 180. The same Peter that I will never leave you. The same Peter that was willing to die. The same Peter that backed that talk up, drawing his sword, ready to throw down. Because that's the thing we miss sometimes with Peter in the denial is he proved he was ready to back up dying for Jesus. So what changed? What happened? And now he's saying, God, curse me if I know that man. And the rooster crows. He realizes what, he, what he's done. He thinks about Jesus' words. One of the versions of the story says that Jesus looks at him in that moment on that third denial. Oh my Lord in heaven, imagine. Imagine, God curse me, this man that was all in, that was giving everything, that left his life, that was ready to die, that had demonstrated this great faith, you are the Messiah, you are the chosen one, where else am I going to go? You're it, Jesus. This same guy is now saying, God curse me if I know you. And Jesus looks him in the eyes. And Peter's heart instantly broke into a million pieces. I can't imagine the heartbreak. Seeing the disappointment in Jesus' face. Seeing him hurting, betrayed, abused, broken. He probably also flashed back to the words in the garden, right? Another scene of disappointment. You couldn't even stay awake with me? And now he's doing it again. And it tells us in Matthew 26 that he went away weeping bitterly. Peter's hurting here. 
He's hurting. What a whirlwind of emotions. What a whirlwind of a week. This week started with Jesus being praised, coming into town on a procession, on a donkey, palm leaves being waved at him. People crying out, you are the Messiah. He goes to the, you think about the week-long Judas and all his plottings and the religious leaders, you know there were whisperings and rumors going around town and the disciples were dealing with all this noise in their ears. And they have, they have the dinner and these other situations where Jesus is telling them all this hard stuff to understand that doesn't make any sense to them. And in the garden, they've gone a night without sleep and they're tired and worn out. And all his other friends, all the other disciples scatter. Imagine Peter's state at this time. And it's certainly no excuse, but it's easy to see why Peter crumbled in this moment. Had a moment of weakness and denied our Lord. So we move on and Jesus goes through the crucifixion, the resurrection. By the way, we don't have any proof of Peter being around for the crucifixion. So imagine those few days, what he went through, the agony that he probably put himself through, the pain, the heartbreak, but just beating himself up day after day. I did this. My Savior's about to die. There's nothing I can do. But Jesus is raised back. We have the women that go and see the empty tomb first. Most of us know the story. They meet the angels, and the angels tell them, go tell the disciples and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. That's an interesting addition. And Peter. Specifically calling out Peter. Because I have to wonder at this point in time, did Peter consider himself a disciple anymore? Because he's dealing with this, this guilt wrapped around his neck of betraying the Lord. And he's, he's thinking the Lord is, has been killed. There goes our chances of a Savior so what am I following anymore? What am I a disciple of? If Jesus was still around, what do you even want me? I've messed up so many times. So Jesus makes sure in his message, go tell the disciples and Peter. I want Peter there so I can talk to him. Because he calls the disciples to come meet him at the Sea of Galilee. He says, I'm going ahead to Galilee. Tell my disciples to come find me there. And it also, we're told that at some point, on the way there, somewhere on the road, Jesus appears privately to Peter in a one-on-one. -on -one. Unfortunately, we're not told anything about what was said during that meeting. To be a fly on the wall, though, I wish I, I could see what happened in that meeting. Because obviously, even after that meeting, Peter is still dealing with some real baggage. Because we see... As we get to the close of our arc here for Peter, in John chapter 21, the disciples go to the Sea of Galilee to meet Jesus. Jesus is not there yet. So the disciples are hanging out. And in verse 3, Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. So our story ends the same way it started. At the Sea of Galilee, with an empty boat, empty nets, Peter going to fish. He reverts back to the only thing he knew, his old life. He reverts back to Simon, says, Jesus is gone. If he, he's still, or even at this point, because he's had a one-on-one -on -one with Jesus, he might be saying, okay, Jesus is alive, but he certainly doesn't want to use me anymore. I'm going fishing. Some of the other disciples will come too, so they all get out in the boat, and they catch nothing all night again. So again, it mirrors the beginning of our story. Empty nets, empty boat. Without Jesus, it's, it's all empty. Jesus appears. They don't know who he is at first, but he's on the shore. He says, hey, throw your nets out on the right-hand side of the boat. You'll get some fish. Same thing that happened before. Jesus tells them, hey, try it again with me, with Jesus. And they're successful. They bring out another load of fish. And the disciples see that it's Jesus. Someone calls out. John calls out, it's the Lord. Simon Peter dives into the water and swims to shore. I got to see him. 
I got to get to Jesus. I've made a mess of things. I've got to get to Jesus. And this also parallels the story where Peter walked on water and got out of the boat. It says he, he got out of the boat probably a little cautiously. Now he's diving head first. I got to get to Jesus. I got to get to Jesus. So he comes in. The disciples and Jesus hang out. They have breakfast. In verse 15, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? I have to imagine Peter always quick to speak. I have to imagine at this point he was probably a little meek and shy in his responses. Probably couldn't even bring his eyes up to meet Jesus, I imagine. Yes, Lord. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter maybe got a little more confident. Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Three times to mirror the three denials. And this time Peter was hurt that Jesus kept asking. He said, Lord... You know everything. You know that I love you. That's the one thing that's never been in doubt through all of this. And we think back of all the instances we've looked at today. That's the one thing that stood out for Peter that I think attracted Jesus more than anything. The fact that he knew God. He knew he was standing before God and he loved him. So yeah, Jesus certainly knew. I think Jesus was asking this more for the benefit of Peter than the benefit of Jesus. He was trying to get Peter to believe again that he loved Jesus. He was trying to get Peter confident again that he loved Jesus. He was trying to get Peter back into that state of mind that you love me, you know who I am, you have great faith in your mind. feed my sheep and again at the end I don't have this part on here but again Jesus tells Peter follow me so at the end of all this after three years together of Peter following him Jesus feels it necessary to say again follow me Peter probably didn't feel like a disciple anymore he was hurt confused totally broken And so Jesus reaffirms his position. He says, follow me. Never mind what you've done. Never mind the mess you've made. Follow me. It's going to be all right. You love me. Follow me, Peter. There's work to do. Feed my sheep. We got a job to do. Follow me. You don't got time to feel sorry for yourself, to wallow in your misery. Follow me. So... Peter's life really is one of emptiness and filling. Empty net, empty boats, empty self. And Peter had to go through all this journey, all this process, and I wonder if Jesus put him through this process to get an empty self. Did Jesus put him through this process to empty Simon of himself so that Peter could move in, so that rock could take his place? Some of us in here this morning, I'm sure, have some empty nets. And you've been trying to fill them. You've been trying to fish. You've been doing everything that you know that is supposed to work. Just like the professional fishermen knew how to do it. You've been doing what your human knowledge tells you. What you know to be true. What you know to be right. It's not quite measuring up. Why? Do you have Jesus in the boat with you? Do you have Jesus instructing you where to throw your net? So if you guys will stand with me this morning.
going to go into a, a time of worship here in a moment. And if my prayer team will come up front, I want you guys to know that this altar is open. With such a message on such a guy like Peter, I would be remiss if we did not open the altar for you to come down here with your empty nets and bring it. Jesus wants you raw and real and unfiltered. Bring your empty nets down here to this altar this morning. Give them to Jesus. Lord, help us. Church, I feel like he wants to break some stuff off some people today. I feel like he wants to break some stuff off some people today. I feel it all of a sudden, church, I'm telling you. Jesus wants to work in someone's life today. He wants to fill your nets. He wants to break away the old you. Peter was completely broken, but it was in that moment of brokenness that Jesus was able to come in and fill him with the Spirit and make him rock. The same Peter that denied Jesus would be crucified upside down for that same Lord. So wherever you're at in your life, if you have some empty nets, get them filled. This altar is open for you. If you don't know Jesus at all, if you're, or if you just got saved, or if you've had the Sunday morning salvation only, and you've never experienced that complete transformation, Simon to Peter, because I'm telling you, he wants to transform you. He doesn't call you as Simon to stay Simon. He calls you as Simon to transform you into Peter. And someone out there today, I'm, I'm telling you, someone has been called. He has given you a name. Peter, Cephas, Rock. He's called someone out here today. And he's waiting for you to be broken down so he can fill you. And he's here today and he wants to fill you. Maybe you need to come down to this altar and be given the opportunity to talk to Jesus and let him ask you, do you love me? Maybe you've messed up and you're at a place in life that you need to be able to come down here, have that conversation with him. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. You know I love you, Jesus. Maybe you need to have that talk with him today. Whatever it is, we're about to go into some time of worship. I want you guys to just reflect on the life of Peter. Reflect on the life of Peter. And if you got some empty nets, you got, you're trying to step into that transformation. Or you've been hurt like Peter and confused and betrayed. This altar is open.